Hello and welcome to Story Untold. I'm Martin Bauman and my guest today is one of the most interesting women in climbing. Pachi Ibarra grew up in Santiago, Chile, where the mountains loom above the city. It's the kind of place where the local Catholic university has mountaineering courses. If you were to think up the perfect breeding ground for someone to become an alpine climber, it might be Santiago. Chile's kind of a big deal in the sport. Patagonia's to the south, the Andes to the east. About 80% of the country is made up of mountain. Pachi cut her teeth there, but her real rep was made in Antarctica. She has over 10 first ascents in the Ellsworth Mountains, more than anyone else. She's been guiding for more than 15 years, one of the most experienced mountaineers in Antarctica. And she happens to be super friendly. <laughs> Here's her story. It was a long time ago in the Patagonian ice field, like climbing steep terrain, ice climbing with a friend. We were a group of five friends. Two of us, we were climbing this route. We have like two in the winter, winter time in Patagonia, so very cold, short days. The last day when we were close to the summit, uh, the weather started to turn and start to get windy. And we, three of our friends were down in the base camp. And we were like kind of 70 kilometers away from any any path, any civilization. And they were like turned back, we started to go down. It was very windy, like all our tents were kind of destroyed. Our friends were in a, starting to get a snow cave. We went into the snow cave and we were like trapped there like for a couple of days. And finally, days. we made out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We were there like, <laughs> building this small cave where we arrived there after like this long climb and like in very like poor conditions like uh, uh, and then they, we started like growing up the cave we stayed there like, for a couple of days and then at the end like everything went well and we were like kind of ending off our food but we had like enough to get out of the ice cap and but it was like kind of very stream and kind of oh. Yeah, we and with no connection this time, like we didn't have any. We had like a some radios and no satellite phone. This is twenty years ago in yeah. Chile where we didn't have like much. Like it doesn't exist any in richer spot or like kind of satellite phone. They were like big satellite phone, hard to get in Chile. So we were like pretty much isolated, and, like by ourselves, and but like knowing what we were doing and like how the weather was uh, so at the end everything was good but it was very extreme <laughs> and then like we have a good weather day to to go in a couple of days out of the uh, Patagonia Nashville. I think that is one of the <laughs> the epic uh, stories that I have long time ago <laughs> and we learn a lot after that. How do you spend <laughs> you know a couple of days in a cave like what do you do to pass the time? Oh Reading, talking, reading, telling stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were drawing some sun in the snow, some like drawing, like, I don't know. <laughs> Just like, I think you had to have to be the correct people to spend that time there. Yes, yeah, hopefully <laughs> so, they were the right people to spend you know, those days with, that right you didn't people. get tired of each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pachi, very few people can claim a first ascent and even fewer people can claim a first ascent in Antarctica. You're one of those few. Tell me a little bit about, like, what was your first time in the mountains? When did that happen? Ooh, um, 
So I think this began with my family, more like kind of getting into the outdoors, like going out for camping and trekking. But then when I was like kind of teenager, I started to go to the mountains with friends. And when I applied for studying at university, I choose one that has like mountaineer course and things like that. I started studying engineer, something like very different. And when I got more involved to the mountaineer, I started to do more mountaineer course, like some certification in the Chilean National School. And I actually changed my career. I went to study physical education, which is more like around sport and outdoors. Mm-hmm. And I met a very good group in in the university I, I start. And they have a this mountaineer course. And I, we start to do a lot of expedition to more remote areas, like mm-hmm. Patagonia Ice Cap, close to in Chile, in Patagonia, and different places in the Andes. So that was kind of my beginning when I was like kind of in my 20s. So if we think about those university years, you're, you're in Santiago and there's this university there, Catholic University in Santiago, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So you're there, but not yet thinking this is going to be my life. Uh, what was the what was the plan then? Like, what did you think you would do with your life? Well, I was like, you know, I, at the beginning, I think when I applied to university, I was a bit lost. What do I want to do? And I was good in math. So I applied to engineer, I started studying there. And, and I, I think also, like, my family in Chile, like, is a little bit conservative society. So like, I always like, kind of like, I was divided in between, like, this secure life engineer and like kind of like getting into maybe a professional mountain guide. But it was hard in Chile to to really think about that because it's not, it wasn't like any kind of guidance school. It is the Chilean certification, but then like it's not like a, a strong industry. So it's not something like people or like in my family or even me will see like as a career. But I think it was like kind of the path that took me like because I really like it and and I started to try to work in that and like really see that I could like make it as a career or like even like continue climbing which is like really what I, I like to do in life so what was it about the mountains that pulled you towards them I think to be outside outdoors uh, I love the green, I love the, I don't know, the wildlife. But then when I start to climb more, when I start actually to for climbing, rock climbing or any type of climbing, I really like kind of challenging a bit myself. And also when I start doing more expedition and have like friends into the climbing, my climbing partner, my rope team, uh, how we share the experience. It's a simple life, you know, yeah, yeah. Chile, a very mountainous country. What are the mountains like around Santiago? Um, they're kind of 3,000 meters, or 5,000 meters. So, like, uh, you can see, like, high mountains. And in the winter, they get snow. So it's pretty. In the summer, they get more dry and some, like, low vegetation, but then dry up higher. And you get, like, some steep technical terrain in, the, in some, like in the mountains and the access is not like great like you cannot get like very 
into the mountains. So like any trip that you want to do, you have to hike and have a longer approach. So it's more kind of, it's not like kind of easy, easy access, but I think in the past year it's getting more and more like kind of like handy there. As you're getting into this sport, as you're taking mountaineering courses at your university, like what are you, what are you learning there? What sorts of things are they teaching you in these courses? <laughs> uh, at the beginning, well, we had like different levels depending on the semester. But we start with the basic, basic kind of camping lifestyle and uh, some of the like kind of technique we call like walking technique or like climbing technique, like very basic one. And then like next level, like it's more advanced kind of climbing, getting more to the rock climbing, ice climbing, alpine climbing. And then it was like kind of two different course. That was a long time ago, actually, like Montagnier one level one then level two and then we were kind of like in the selection like selection for the university mountaineer course whatever come mountaineers class and as far as you get to the selections like we we like more into expedition applying for funds going so to big trips uh, for a month expedition different places in south america mostly in the andes so that is kind of like how it works there yeah. when I start. What was your first time doing a first ascent? Like, where was that? That was in Patagonia. We, with this group of friends, we were always looking for, I think in Patagonia still, it's similar to Antarctica, so it's not like very, very much explored. It's very bad weather, not very good access, so not many people go there. Mm-hmm. And we have this project with this group of friends and we were going to Cordillera Darwin, which is in very south Patagonia, uh, south of Punta Arenas, actually, and trying to climb some first ascent and, and climbing mountains. And we had very bad weather. We were like kind of raining for a month. And after like two weeks of raining, trying to explore places, we said like, oh, we had to go in the rain and bad weather. So mm-hmm. we climbed three mountains first ascent and i remember in one of them like we couldn't see anything on the top and we couldn't go like farther up and it was but then it was clear and we could see some of the mountains and so that was like the first experience and we continued with that project we went to patagonian icefield to try other mountains there we climbed uh, new routes there and i think that was kind of how i started to get more into explore new places and I really like it because you had to work think about that like documentate before you go planning good planning and then everything is new so I kind of explore (laughs) yeah how do you how do you plan for a first ascent if someone hasn't been there and done it before you know there's no established route to follow how do you sort of plan all that out um now uh our good resource like with the satellite image and mapping and uh, I think um, you can like search a little bit in internet or in different places but it still is unknown terrain so I think what we were doing in that time it was more like kind of looking for good access and then look at maps in a satellite image and try to kind of establish a route, a possible route, but then like everything can change in terrain. And like we have time, 
we're planning for a month to month expansion so we can have time to see looks for different routes and just go for it that and sometimes works sometimes doesn't work but like <laughs> i think the best is like to have a good planning ahead before and and try to make the best when did antarctica come about like when did you first uh, think of going there or when did the invitation come uh i think i was thinking about that long time before it happened like in my first year that i went to antarctica was 2006 and i think for at least five years before with this same group of friends that we were exploring in patagonia we always have this dream to to go to antarctica and try to climb some unclimbed mountains and we always thought about the peninsula because it was much easier access for us from chile uh we always like had like very low budget expedition mm-hmm, and we always mm-hmm. like kind of try to find like the way to get there so we tried to contact the army in chile so because we knew that most of the people that in chile they go to antarctica is through the army and, and like in the chilean base and we were almost like getting into a ship going to the peninsula, but then never happened. And and then uh, one of my friends in that project, um, he was invited to go to Antarctica with a different, with the same project that I ended to go, but he was going like two years before to climb mountains there. And after like, I think two or three years that he was going there with the Omega Foundation, they need a, another person and he invited me. So it was kind of like in the same group of friends that we were trying to go there. Yeah. So he's there before you. He's he's there, you know, two, three years before you get there. What's he telling you about what it's like there? Well, I was, well, what I know now, but like, I know, like, they are like big mountains with like and climbing terrain and known explored terrain and like I love to do this so it's kind of in my dream uh-huh. and yeah I don't know <laughs> what what was your first time there like uh it was um it was like I was in this kind of year off from studies because the same year I was invited to climb Lotse and so I took the year off from the university. I climbed Lotse, and so I have time. I, and Damian Gildea, who was the, the one that organized this, was looking for people. And Camilo, my friend, my Chilean friend that invited me, he was like, oh, you, you're free this year. Like, you should come. And I was like, yeah, I'll go. Even if mm-hmm. I'm not free, I'm going to go. Like, whatever. And and I got involved to the Omega Foundation Expedition, where, like, the idea was, like, to remeasure the highest mountain in Antarctica and some of them has not been climbed yet and most of them actually all of them they were climbing a, from a new route so it was a lot of exploration and the idea was to set up a very accurate GPS on the summit for 10 hours and then retrieve the GPS and get all the data so for me it was a dream it was kind of like <laughs> the best gift that I have ever had in life like to be invited to just climb mountains in Antarctica. So I took it. <laughs> so so a GPS marker like that is going to tell you what? It, it'll tell you the elevation of that mountain or it'll just more accurately map it? Yeah. So it, it gives us the elevation and how it gives us like as a very accurate measure is because like this GPS is taking 
the elevation every second, like many, many, many like measuring during a period of 10 hours. So it was in between five to 10 hours. So you have like so many data that then you get the average of that and mm -hmm. you get like the most precise altitude. And with that, we measure like the, the summit of the mountains, but also some other kind of places in the mountains, in the, in the base, like different points. So then with those data, you can like kind of build also this map and with different image and also the contours and all that. So um, with all that data, they could make a very good mapping of all the Sentinel range, which is one of the highest range in Antarctica with the yeah. highest mountains. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a bit about the Sentinel range. Like what is, what is it exactly? What do the mountains look like and why are they special? The Sentinel range is this range that kind of going up from the ice plateau. So it's kind of very isolating the whole like big Antarctic continent. So like sometimes like when you're flying to the Sentinel range, like you can be like in a very flat area, wide flat area and suddenly appear these mountains. And the mountains are big. Are like you have like Mount Vincent, which is the highest mountain. It's almost 5,000 meters, 4,892. And all the surrounding mountains, they are like close to 4,000, 3,000. So, and there is steep terrain. It's kind of like from the base, which is like 2,000 meters. They go up like pretty fast in kind of, uh, it's kind of abrupt terrain. So it's pretty unique, uh, beautiful shaped mountains, some rich with like gendarmes, with rocky ridge, with a uh, hanging glacier. It's beautiful, <laughs> and and the views from there, like you, like from the top, you can see like infinite wide horizon, and you can see the curve of the Earth. is is pretty nice. What time of year? Uh, can I assume you were there in summertime? Yeah, we go in summertime. Uh, you have like during summertime, you have twenty four hours light. During winter time, you have twenty four hours darkness so mm -hmm. and it's pretty cold in winter so the the month that we operate or like we go there is in between the end of october until beginning of february that would be like kind of the ideal month during the summertime in the south hemisphere um and we have 24 hours daylight um it's pretty dry you have like temperatures well depending on the altitude but like in the highest mountain you can get like from minus 25 up to or sorry, lower to minus 40 on the summits and i think antarctica is one of the well it's the driest and windiest place probably in the earth so you can have like a lot of wind yeah. and some very quiet day nice weather um no much precipitation we get some precipitation, some snowfall, but it's not like like in Patagonia, like very like wet places. And of course, it's dry. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think that there are very ideally conditions for climbing because you have light and you have like dry weather, which is sometimes I feel colder in places that are wet, difference that places that are dry, so you feel colder. In, like Patagonia, things like that. So 
still very cold, so you have to be very careful how take care of, uh, take care of yourselves and things like that. Uh, but I think it's ideal of the condition, like kind of a stable weather most of the time. Still, you have like big storm during the season, so have to be prepared for everything. <laughs> what does a storm look like in Antarctica? Normally, it's windy. Windy storm, very mm. windy. Like, have to be very careful, like how to prepare camps because we we have I have experienced a lot of bad storm, windy storm where like kind of tense break, and so yeah, you have to like be careful with that. Like, no weather forecast. Try to realize that and be prepared. That's a, maybe a good question. Like, what what's your mental checklist if you're preparing for a climb, uh, especially one in difficult conditions when you do have wind to deal with or extreme cold? Like, what are the sorts of things you have to think about on any given day that you're trying to work towards climbing a mountain? Um, well, you have to, of course, I documentation i know how is the mountain look at the route that you're gonna climb check the gear uh but i think important also is to check the weather like to climb in good weather condition there and yeah i think you have to kind of always have the correct gear to climb and yeah be prepared for for a big mountains cold weather and and also the gear like it could be a little bit different in between like clothing talking about like you know you need more clothes sometimes hard to kind of figure out layers because you can be climbing in good weathers to be sweating a lot if you are not good layering and then like that get cold or like kind of protect a lot the spot that you can have like more in contact with the conditions like the face or hands so you have to be very careful because a little bit of wind and cold condition can get you very easy to a frostbite or things like that so yeah, always have to yeah. be aware of yourself <laughs> are you more concerned with windburn or sunburn in uh, in antarctica you know when it is 24 hour daylight I think wind, but uh, you have both, so you have to be concerned with both. But I think what could be more dangerous is the cold and the wind and exposed with the skin, of course, because, yeah, sun always is a deal, but I think it's easy to manage that. Sunscreen will be protect, but uh -huh. then cold and wind is uh, sometimes hard to manage. Like in face, for example, because sometimes you are working hard, you start to sweat in a little bit, like sunglasses, girls can get fog and then you don't see much. So like you had to manage and then you start to like kind of take off some layers and and you can get in in the wind and cold. And sometimes people uh, don't feel when you have a cold injury in your face, for example. So so you have to be very aware of that. When you're climbing. <laughs> how how quickly can frostbite come in those conditions when you know a part of your face or parts of your hands or skin are exposed? Oh, it could be very quickly, very quickly. So like in minutes or seconds. So 
like if it is a very windy condition, cold, like you can get in seconds. So always you have to be aware that not have any spot free when it's cold. One of the, the folks I've interviewed on this show, Daniel Burton, he was the first person to reach the South Pole on a bicycle, entirely by bicycle. And he talked about uh, this, the challenge. One of his challenges was getting too sweaty, like working up too much of a sweat because then your body overheats, but you can't really stop moving because it could then cool off too quickly. How does that come into play as you're climbing? Like, how do you regulate your body temperature so that you're not... Uh, overheating and then and then risking getting too cold after yeah it's um it, it's a bit like tricky i get that sometimes like when you're sweating but i think the important thing is like to start not like over over clothing kind of like over with a like you have to start walking and climbing in a nice chilly temperature but not like of course getting hypothermic but like kind of not like super hot and what i do like always i say like if i started to get super hot i had to stop and take some layers off uh, i'm not gonna like kind of push 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 because i don't want to stop i have to i prefer to be comfortable and stop and change a layer and and continue climbing uh, so then it will be much better in how do you say long distance like kind of at the end uh-huh. So, but it, it's kind of tricky like sometimes if not just sweating it's like kind of condensation and normally face and things like that but I think as you get more used to the temperature to the climbing to your rhythm you can manage layering and not be over sweating <laughs> what are what are the worst conditions that you faced in Antarctica whether it's wind whether it's blinding snow or just difficult conditions uh, all of that. All of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> kind of wind. <laughs> Snow blowing. Um, yeah. When the if the weather changed like pretty quick and I had to set up camp in bad weather conditions. Oh, always you try to move and like climb in good weather, of course. Uh, but sometimes it's a bit tricky, like when you kind of start climbing in good weather and sometimes change radically or like kind of something like that then that is like kind of i think is the is the the weather weather is what is more tricky and the terrain depending if it is like kind of technical terrain when you're climbing of course you deal with the with uh, the technical terrain but that is something that you kind of plan ahead so but the, the weather the weather i think will be the most tricky, <laughs> challenging. If, if you're climbing the Sentinel Range, what's your sort of daily food intake like? Like how much food do you have to eat on an expedition like that just to keep up with how many calories you're burning? Ooh. Um, I think in like kind of active days when you're climbing and yeah, dealing with the cold and all that, probably over like 4,000, 5,000 calories, 4,000 calories. And I think in the mountains, when you're climbing steep terrain and like kind of high mountains, normally we we deal with like kind of the high food, dehydrating food mm-hmm. and like bars, energy bars and things like that. And 
Yeah, in the lower mountain, you can cook like pasta, rice, things like that, like normal food. So if you're doing the, the high stuff, it's, it's dehydrated food that you can then, like, are you reheating that with water or what is the, what is the dehydrated meal like? Yeah, the, uh, it's freeze, how do you call it? Freeze, uh, freeze dry. We call it in Spanish, leofilizado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they, they dehydrate in cold and then like, uh, to it, you add hot water, boiling yeah. water. Yeah. So it rehydrated. Uh, and why we do that is because they are lighter, use less fuel. So uh, we have to carry less weight yeah everything that when you climb mountains you have to carry with you so we try to minimize like uh, weight and be more efficient in the mountains so you need like less fuel to to boil water than to cook so that is why we kind of do that in high altitude and when you have to carry everything yeah Um, yeah yeah so how many like how many dehydrated meals and energy bars would you have during a given day if you're climbing something in the sentinel range well we have a like i will have like a dinner uh for a dehydrated meal one package of dinner uh, and then four bars during the day and chocolate bar and uh it's more like a snack when you are climbing during the day and a good breakfast good big uh, dehydrate or like granola breakfast something like that and that's it. Very simple. <laughs> How do you yeah. deal with the isolation of climbing in a place like Antarctica? Like if something were to go wrong there, how quickly can help be on its way? Ooh, um, it's not very quickly or it could be quickly. So it's something that you cannot predict. So you had to plan for kind of the wars, which means that you can be stuck for one week, two weeks of bad weather and don't have any quick help Mm -hmm. so you have to plan in that Uh, still like if the weather is good uh, like I work for ALE Antarctic Logistic and Expedition and if the weather is good and it needs to be a rescue or something like that you can deal you can like kind of count on them and will be as quick as it can like be in a day and hours or minutes but all depending on weather. Like you are so isolated and the weather could be bad for a week, so uh, better than like to plan to avoid that, kind of. And if it happened, like to deal with that in the field, to have like some support there or like kind of planning on, I don't know, like when things can get wrong. Yeah, so you, so you have to pack then, if you're talking about trying to minimize packing and weight because you're carrying these things up with you, so you have to pack extra then to prepare for, you know, rations for potentially two weeks then. Yeah, yeah, you plan like, you know, to have some extra rations and also uh, extra clothing if you're kind of going for a summit, like normally you can carry a sleeping bag or a tent if, if it is a big summit day. Like a couple of years ago, three years ago, we guided the second highest mountain in Antarctica, Terry, and for the summit day, it was a long day, and we were carrying sleeping bag, tent, like stove for the summit push, and just in case, like, we we have to do something in the way, you know, like, you know, 
So you plan with a little bit more, like kind of you go when it's like a normal alpine climb where you can risk a little bit more. But because the conditions are more extreme, you need to be prepared in case uh-huh. something goes wrong or something. You you mentioned earlier in our conversation, uh, the time, this was during university, you were part of a team that climbed Lhotse, so one of the highest peaks in the world, right in the Himalayas. What was that expedition like, if you could tell me about that? That was a great experience. It was my first time in the Himalayas, um, and I was inviting a big team, big group of 12 climbers. Uh, we were kind of uh, celebrating or uh, the 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 years of teaching of one of my mentors in the mountaineering, which is Claudia Lucero. So it was like uh, students that had been like different generation with him, and, and and we knew all each other. So it was a great great experience with friends and challenging like looking like first time in high altitude, 8,000 meters, so always is some mental kind of challenging how my body's gonna work. Uh, but I think in between the 12 of us, like we have great, great, great trip. It was very successful. 11 of us, we climbed to the top and, and I think it like kind of got me more and more into high altitude and more into big mountains too yeah yeah because if you're talking like the ranges that you're growing up going on being in the four to five thousand range how high is Lhotse versus something that you'd be familiar with from South America <laughs> well it's a much much higher it's like 8,500 <laughs> yeah yeah I think 60 something like that I don't remember and yeah well in South America you have the highest mountain in Aconcagua, so you can get like almost to 7,000 meters. Mm-hmm. So that was my highest mountain before that. So it's still high, like, and we have a lot of 6,000 meters peak, but like, yeah, you, I can like get there pretty easy. And I have that experience, but like, you know, it's still always like altitude for me is very, I respect a lot of the altitude. So I gain a lot of experience in Lhotse with that. Too. Yeah, you, you mentioned, so uh, your mentor, one of your mentors being Claudio Lucero. If you could tell me a bit about him, because he's he's quite a big deal, especially in Chile when it comes to climbing. Yeah, um, he's a very good teacher and he's a very good uh, climber, monta- mountaineering and he always like teaches us uh, mountaineering as a um, lifestyle, and to be, I think, what I uh, I learned more from him it was to trust in the other person, to be very like kind of professional when you are climbing, like take care of yourself, of your team, and it's more like about like lifestyle, like how he show us mountains how to be in the mountains be responsible in the mountains how to climb there and be responsible with the environment and all that and i think that is the mo- the biggest legacy uh, like challenge yourself in the mountains and enjoy the mountains enjoy like living in the outdoors i think if someone's not familiar with him and what he's done in the mountains like what would be sort of his resume of climbing or kind of a you know a brief look at what he's accomplished in the mountains 
Uh, he 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 started with the mountaineering school long time ago in Chile when like no many people kind of were climbing there. So he is now eighty. So he in the he was like a pioneer in the Chilean mountaineering, and he has been in uh, several expeditions in Himalayas, uh, climbing on uh, Everest on eight thousand meters peak. Um, I think he mentor some of the climbers that have climbed the the first Chilean that climbed eight thousand meters peak and they they did in like for example Everest for the first Chilean ascent to Everest was in the Canchun phase which is a very technical route on Everest so he mentored all of them he was in part of those expeditions and also K2 and I think, but the main the main legacy of uh, Claudio Lucero is his teaching teaching process mm-hmm. and teaching a lifestyle in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, what 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 does that lifestyle mean to you? That kind of way of being in the mountains. I think it's like to be respect with the mountains, with the people, uh, enjoy to be there. Uh, be responsible, like kind of challenging yourself, like doing, I think, exploring, doing new things, but always like kind of be uh, conscious of what you do, planning what you do, being smart in the mountains, like to enjoy it and and take care of what is surrounded, what the world is, like the nature, uh, your partners, your people who you share that passions and climb with you've climbed all over the place the andes patagonia the himalayas what's one thing that remains that you would still like to do oh uh i think uh, there is a lot of things that i would like to do still do um in antarctica is so many things to do i wish i could have like kind of two months three months expedition and like go and climb all of those mountains in the Sentinel Range. I think it's like it's so beautiful, so much to climb, so much to explore, uh, new faces. Uh, so I think uh, many of the mountains over there. And also in Patagonia, I always have my dream, which is like to climb Fitzroy. I haven't climbed it. I have mm. tried there. I don't know why. I think it's there. Like many people has climbed, but I think it has been... I have climbed a lot there in Chalten, but I haven't climbed it, so it's one of my goals. Soon, probably, I will do it. Hmm. And yeah, I don't know. Like so that is some of my goals uh, for soon. Mm-hmm. And in Antarctica, is so many things. Like uh, it's beautiful there, beautiful mountains. Yeah. Uh, Pachi, thank you so much for taking your time today and uh, and for for this conversation. This has been great. Uh, thank you. <laughs> That's it for the show. Thanks for listening, and I hope you liked it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe, rate, review. You get to hear it from me twice. If you like this one especially, check out episode 62 with Daniel Burton. Daniel was just two days shy of turning 50 when he set out for a world record crossing. A fascinating guy. If you want to support in another way, head to the shop section of the Story Untold website. There's merch there, some great t-shirts. I have the lilac one, looks great. 
There's stickers and tank tops and long sleeve tees in all kinds of colors, and all of it helps to cover the costs of keeping this show going. Theme music for Story Untold is by Dr. Turtle off the album You Um, I'll Ah. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman, and this was a Story Untold. See you next time. Mm-hmm.